Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. It's a radio program dedicated to raising awareness of issues concerning animals. This includes advocacy, activism, protection, conservation, and importantly, appreciation. This show is broadcast from the 3CR studios in Melbourne on 855am, and we're streamed live via the 3CR website. All podcasts are available at 3cr.org.au, at freedomofspecies.org, or via your favourite podcasting app. Thank you again for to Sally for a great show of Out of the Pan. Tune in next week uh, from 12 to 1 for Sally discussing pansexual issues. Hunting is a key threat to wild animal populations around the world. People go out of their way to kill these individuals for trophies or to sell their body parts uh, for profit. For the love of wildlife wants to reduce Australian in, Australians' impact on the trade of African animals by making it illegal to import and trade their body parts into the country. Thanks to Donna Lee and Haley from For the Love of Wildlife for coming on to Freedom of Species and um, talking about their organisation with us today. Um, Donna Lee, do you, you're, a, you're a founder of um, For the Love of Wildlife. Would you just like to explain a little bit about what the um, organisation is and and why you started it? Oh, um, I went to Africa in 2011 and saw lions in the wild for the very first time. And I'm sure many people that have been to Africa and seen the wildlife um, really are impacted at um, the stunning beauty and, uh, and the incredible... Um, feeling that you get when you see animals in the wild for the very first time. And so um, it was on this same day that I had seen these lions um, that I heard for the very first time the term canned hunting and this um, brutal industry of predator breeding, uh, which is a supply chain for breeding uh, lions predominantly for the bullet. And so um, during this, you know, my, my response to this was just so, um, I was so outraged. And a friend who was with me at the time challenged me and said, now that you, you know, you're in your indignant rage and you're in your grief about this industry, I want you to go out into the world and I want you to do something about it. And so I came back to Australia determined that I was going to raise the issue. 
um, knowing that uh, the volunteerism and um, and tourism industry was being duped also by the cub petting and lion walking mm. uh, trade, which has been uh, part of the supply chain for this industry. And um, to start with, nobody was interested in, in talking to me. So um, I started speaking to my local MPs and uh, it was just leading up to a federal election and uh, Jason Wood, who um, was my local candidate, said that if he was elected, he pledged to do something about it. And um, once I started getting momentum, I, I launched For the Love of Wildlife as a professional platform and um, and within 18 months of, of uh, that pledge by Jason Wood, uh, we were the first country in the world to ban the importation of lion trophies and body parts uh, with the, the piece that uh, if you take the trophy away from a hunter, they're really not interested in the kill. And we did find that there were Australians participating in the industry and also how um, we had a responsibility to protect um, uh, tourists and volunteers that were going to South Africa being duped by uh, this industry. Yeah, that's a fantastic story and, and so recent as well that you've been able to make a, um, a very significant change for the promotion of canned hunting, I suppose, in Australia at least, um, and stopping the promotion of that through um, for the love of wildlife. And wouldn't it be great if everyone had their encouraging friend or their challenging friend to say, take your indignity and use it? That's, that's, a, yeah. that's a lovely story. It is, for sure. And Hayley, would you like to explain um, what drew you to For the Love of Wildlife and, and what you do now for the organisation? Uh, yeah, so I'm a director with For the Love of Wildlife now um, and I've been with the organisation for about the last uh, 12 months. Um, and so I was drawn to the organisation um, for a couple of reasons. One is that um, I'm also incredibly passionate about um, Africa's species, um, particularly lions, rhinos and elephants. Um, but it was really, I guess, meeting Donna Lee and seeing um, her commitment and her drive and her passion and the results that had been achieved um, with with the legislation change um, in such a short time frame. So, um, yeah, it was, it's fantastic to be able to be part of an organisation that is incredibly committed to to changing the conservation landscape and to doing things differently um, and challenging the status quo um, and and just working with fantastic people in doing that as well. Yeah, I, I, that's that's great to hear. And and there's a few things I want to touch on that you've both mentioned. Um, but the first is that we really are like you're you're addressing um, or the, for the love of wildlife is addressing conservation issues that are occurring um, in Africa because we do live in a global world now where we have impact and our our industries and our economies have impact on. Um, wildlife in other areas of the world through um, hunting and the promotion of hunting um, and canned hunting. So it's it's fantastic that you're addressing those issues um, in in a totally different continent, halfway around the world. Um, is it just is it just lions that you're that you're focused on? Or you've got the legislation through for lions, which is great. What else? What what other species are you working for? 
Well, Adam, I think uh, lions are our first love, um, but uh, as Hayley mentioned, we are currently working on the protection of elephants and rhinos by addressing Australia's domestic trade in ivory and rhino horn. Uh, and we just have this belief that if we can't save uh, lions, elephants and rhinos and the ways in which we are doing that or addressing uh, the extinction crisis for these species is we've got little chance of saving anything else. So what we've learnt by addressing the trade and what we've learnt about being a participant and um, being complicit in the um, extinction crisis is that um, we really believe in cleaning up our own backyard mm. and so Specifically with the domestic trade, Australia has, as a signatory to CITES, which is the Convention on the International Trade of Endangered Species, we have an obligation and we've been called, well, all countries, all signatories have been called to address their, their markets. And what we've found with our investiga investigations and research over the last two and a half years is that we do have an unregulated trade and it's rampant and the data that the Department of Environment, Large Conservation and uh, the government have been using, uh, we have found is incredibly flawed. And so what we did, we, we looked at data specifically between two countries that we believe were, you know, can't be blamed for being corrupt. So we're not looking at, say, um, an African country and then an Asian country where everybody uses corruption as a, a means for the data to be flawed is that we looked at the data between the UK and Australia and found that there were export permits issued between 2010 and 2016 for 2,953 units of ivory and only three units of ivory were recorded as being received in Australia. So if the CITES database is incredibly flawed and decisions are being made about the protection of these species, then we need to address address that and that's why we've called on the Australian government to close the domestic trade. It's, it really shocks me to hear um, that there is trade in ivory. I, I'd assumed that ivory trade in, um, in Western countries in particular because of things like CITE had been sort of um, removed and that we weren't trading in ivory. Is, is it trade in um, already existing ivory products or is it in ivory that has been taken from the wild recently? I mean, either is, either is bad. Um, but can you elaborate on what that trade actually is and looks like? Um, yeah, so the, if, if we're talking the domestic trade, so the international trade um, is regulated through CITES. Mm. Um, the issue, as Donnelly was saying, though, is that there's so many um, loopholes and flaws in that system that it can't be guaranteed that the items that are actually entering any country, including Australia, are actually legal items and haven't come from elephants or mm. rhinos that have been recently killed through the current poaching crisis. So the issue um, with Australia is that um, there's an assumption and it's a false assumption that um, you know, items that are for sale within our country must be legal and they must be antique or they must have been, you know, um, come from elephants that died a long time ago um, and there's essentially no, no evidence of that. Um, and so in all of our investigations, we have spoken to a number of um, antiques dealers. Um, we've looked at 
at many um, online auction platforms, um, even um, other um, online platforms, we've gone into into stores um, and we've you know questioned the um, the items that are for sale. And in not any instances was anyone able to give us any proof of um, where those items came from, how old they were, um, or anything like that. So um, the trade here is. Um, um, completely unregulated um, and so it, with the the gaps in managing the legal uh, international trade and then an unregulated domestic market within Australia means that we can't guarantee that you know ivory and rhino horn from recently killed animals is not being sold um, in Australia. Mm. That's that's pretty shocking so there the, this these um, this ivory that is possibly coming from and, and certainly has come from um, killed individuals or most likely from killed individuals in, either in the past or, or possibly quite recently is happening, the trade's happening out in the open. It's happening online. It's happening in shops. Um, is it... I, I would have thought, I, I think of ivory trade when I think of it. I'm showing my naivety here um, as sort of a... within the black market and being sort of down dark alleyways or something. And is, that's not the case. Is that not the case? Um, no, it's certainly not the case. And Adam, what you suggested is that when we've um, spoken to Australians, um, when we've been doing our campaigns, almost everybody we've spoken to has had the same response, that they've already believed that the domestic trade is banned. And so um, to give you an example also of how... Um, open this is and uh, the fact that the auction rooms and antiques industry that have been trading in these items. We have um, found through our investigations that um, almost in every state uh, we have found auction houses and antique um, industry that they have been advising their potential um, clients uh, ways in how to get their items in and out of the country illegally. So there's a blatant abuse of the law. Um, they have no problem with um, giving people tips in how to get it through customs. Uh, they tell them that you just tell customs that um, it's either resin or camel bone or that they will issue receipts or paperwork to say that it's not ivory. So we know that customs, they have, uh, there's about 35,000 species that are listed as endangered and customs officials are given three and a half hours training to deal with uh, endangered species in identifying and knowing what's coming through the borders. So, uh, you know, not only um, through customs and through airports, but we've also um, been speaking to customs agents who have told us how syndicates are getting items in and out of the country. Um, and so it's, you know, there's absolutely overwhelming evidence that we need a full domestic trade ban certainly sounds like we do doesn't it that's um pretty eye-opening that there's such a trade going on and, and so blatantly um touting the the laws and 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 freely sort of offering options for corruption that's pretty pretty shocking um do you so what is what in particular are you asking for in in terms of legislation what would legislation look like and how might it be policed um well we were we hosted in March this year on World Wildlife Day Australia's first ivory and rhino horn destruction event, and that um, uh, and with Jason Wood 
again championing um, this work uh, was the launch of a parliamentary inquiry into the domestic trade. So the Joint Committee on Law Enforcement have only just finished that. The report was uh, released a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that also recommends for a full domestic um, trade ban. And with that, there's minimal um, exemptions. And I think they're a de minimis um, exemption for small amounts, tiny amounts of ivory in some pieces, and mostly um, for a, you know, a small a, a range of musical instruments. So how, how, how do they identify? So if there's a ban, a total ban on ivory, would there still be this problem where people are, are suggesting that it's camel bone or that they can say that there's no sign off on it saying that there's no ivory in this product? product? I imagine that's much harder to police. Well, I think what's happened though is that we've had uh, whilst um, Australia looks good on paper. There's been a lack of enforcement and a lack of monitoring and it's been up to civil society uh, to do something about either spotting rhino horns for sale or ivory for sale. So I think it's about um, elevating wildlife trafficking, wild, illegal wildlife products um, on the agenda. Um, I think the fact that we know from the customs people we spoke to that um, you know wildlife uh, products just aren't on the radar. So they come across um, items by chance because they're looking for either drugs or firearms. Mm -hmm. So again, um, and this is something that we're seeing with Jason Wood, is that we need to elevate wildlife crime in this country and make it um, of significant interest. And so there is law enforcement and there is um, the suitable penalties for people that are trading in these items. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live.
telling you enough is enough. That was Enough is Enough by Tiki Tyne. This ain't nothing, no. This is 3CR has all kinds of music programs for you to hear. From blues to hip-hop, reggae, classical, punk, jazz, soul, indigenous, experimental, indie, metal and other music styles. Check out 3cr.org.au on the World Wide Web for more info. Welcome back. You're listening to Freedom of Species and we are talking with Donnelly Patman and Hayley Vella uh, from for the love of wildlife, and they're working to to ban the illegal trade or the trade of ivory and um, in in Australia and get le- legislation passed on that. And they have previously successfully um, banned the trade of lion um, products that come from lions that have been hunted in a canned hunting setting. Uh, which is fantastic. And we've just been speaking about um, what For the Love of Wildlife does. And Donnelly, you've mentioned a couple of times um, that you're working with Jason Wood. And Jason is a Liberal member of um, of our Victorian Parliament, is it? Yes, he's a federal member. A federal member. Jason's a federal member, which is which is great. And so I don't I don't often um, think of Liberal Liberals as um, champions of um, animal animal welfare or animal protection, but you've certainly found a friend in Jason Wood. Can you tell us a little bit about that relationship and and reaching out to a Liberal member to um, to fight for animals? I mean, animals should be a or fighting for animals. The protection of animals certainly should be a um, nonpartisan issue. Uh, so it's great okay. that you've found someone in in the Liberal Party. 
Well, I remember when I first started working with Jason and when I would speak to other groups or other NGOs, they all told me that I was wasting my time and um, the Liberal Party wouldn't, there's no way the Liberal Party would uh, enact anything like this. So um, I think, you know, something that I've learned is that we really can't look at government as a block. Like I know we all like our particular parties, um, you know, people love either Labor or the Greens or the Liberal Party or the Coalition. But I think um, given the political platform and how disenchanted most people are, is that to really um, find the individuals in amongst the mix. And that's something that we have been um, really focused on is finding um, across all parties, whether they're Greens, the Labour Party or the Liberal Party, is finding people who are passionate about um, saving uh, wildlife and working with us um, and getting these, um, these issues dealt with. And so um, this has been a bipartisan piece with uh, closing the domestic trade in ivory and rhino horn. And the piece that we did with banning the importation of lion trophies and body parts was tripartisan with um, the Greens, Labor and Liberal all coming together uh, to work on that piece. Um, and so I know it's one of those things, isn't it, that mm. um, most people would say, oh, that I would never go there. But I think that the difference in the way that we work is that we um, collaborate with individuals and small uh, grassroots orgs and somehow we've uh, found a, a, you know, cracks in the, in the system and um, despite being told we were wasting our time, we've just forged on and forged through and uh, been able to do these pieces in, in really short time frames. Yeah, and um, perhaps Hayley, I'm not sure if you if you were able to speak on this, but how, how are you getting this legislative change through? Like, what is the process? I, I, there's, I imagine there's lots and lots of animal people out there who would love to know the secret source that you've, you got the um, canned hunting legislation through or the ban on lion body parts and trophies through very quickly. What was that process like? What, what did that look like? Um, actually, Donnelly is better placed to answer that one. I actually wasn't with For the Love of Wildlife when that um, piece of work happened. No worries. Donna Lee, would you like to speak on that? Um, well, I suppose what we can say is uh, we have just started um, our discussion series, which we host once a month, and we've only just launched it, is where we will um, share the ways in which we work, but also invite people to join um, these sessions so that they can also bring to the table their skills. And um, as, a, as a collective, um, find ways of working more effectively and efficiently. Um, but I think, you know, the, the thing with working with government, and this was one of my first pieces, was that if you think of a politician, um, mostly they get slammed every day. Mm. And um, people are after them and are unhappy about things. And so with working with Jason, one of the things I considered was that what is it like? What would it be like to be absolutely abused every day, you know, with somebody with another problem? And so um, what I tried to do was make sure that he had everything he needed to get this work through and to be done well. And so I was always available, made sure that if he required any information, it was given to him within 24 hours and that he learned to trust that the information that I gave him was correct. Um, and that he could rely on me um, to make sure that the, he was always given information to support him. 
And so I think that's also what people forget is that you can't just drop an issue with a politician and then walk away and expect them to do all the work. You actually, as a group, have a responsibility to provide them um, with everything that they need, especially if you expect it to get through and to have legislative change. Um, and I, I think that the difference is that, you know, they're busy people. They've got a lot of um, issues to address. And if you're not prepared to put your heart and soul into the work in supporting them, um, I don't. I can understand why things don't kind of get get left aside. Um, and then you've also got to find uh, other politicians in the mix who can support them with that work. So if they're prepared to put up a motion or table a motion or to get other um, politicians to support them, then also, you know, lobby senators, lob lobby other federal MPs, lobby state politicians. And that's what I did with the, the canned hunting piece is I made sure that a, a hell of a lot of politicians knew about the issue, knew why it was being um, brought to the table and why it was necessary um, globally, um, you know, for us to be participants as a, on a global piece. And is that um, lobbying, and is, is that lobbying um, phone calls, meetings, um, emails? Is it, uh, what, what was particularly productive? It's all of those things. Yep. Um, and and that's the, I think that's the thing to also share is that the work is really tedious. It's, <laughs> it can be boring and you're on the computer a lot. Um, and so it's and, it, and it's also attending events that you wouldn't normally attend just so that you get to be um, known. I know um, when I first spoke to Jason, I had this um, concept and thought all he knows is that I'm an animal loving person at the end of the phone. He doesn't know who I am. So I started turning up at events. And um, I remember to start with, he would sort of think, oh, my God, she's here again. Um, but I made sure that I never spoke about the issue unless he invited me to. Mm -hmm. And then over time, he realized that, you know, he, he could, you know, trust that I'd be in the room and not be kind of uh, pushing the issue the, all the time. I waited. And you just have to have a really intuitive um, kind of perspective about your timing as well and knowing not to push too hard, knowing when to kind of, you know, sit back and wait for things to happen and then kind of just... Um, and, and just be, you've got to be constantly at it. You really just can't drop the ball. And um, it requires, you know, you've got to be really diligent in, in keeping the support going. So persistence, treating, treating MPs um, or people in government like they're human beings and <laughs> recognising that they're not experts in your field so that you can provide them um, that expertise and that research and that, that knowledge um, and doing it in a way where they try to they become trustful of you. That, that's actually exactly. it, it's really interesting. It, it um, sort of I see parallels. There's another there's a group that I um, am aware of in Darabin City Council who who last year or the year before declared a climate emergency response. So not on animals but on um, the climate emergency. And that was the first council uh, or government body anywhere in the world to do that. And very similarly, those um, those councillors were approached by um, very passionate people who were very persistent and provided a lot for the councillors. Because as as you as you sort of alluded to, they they're experts in politics and maybe they've got mm -hmm. some work they've got some skills in law or some other um, some other profession before they entered politics. But they're certainly 
probably not going to be knowledgeable in animal welfare issues or not to the level that's required. Um, so providing that, that information is, is very important. So th thank you for sharing that. I think that was very valuable. Um, on that discussion series, that sounds fascinating. Haley, have you have you been involved in this discussion series? And would you like to uh, share a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So we launched the first one um, a few weeks ago, uh, and that one was based on the work that we have been doing with our um, collaborative partners to close the domestic trade of ivory and rhino horn in Australia. Um, so these discussion series, um, they're designed to be um, quite intimate and more of an informal conversation um, where we are um, ourselves um, speaking with um, people that come along to the event, um, but also hosting special guest speakers um, throughout the events as well. Um, and it's really about having a conversation around what are the strategies, the ideas, the actions that each of us can take to you know, make an impact on these um, wildlife conservation issues. Um, so you know, part of it is us sharing from our experience and our work and having other speakers do the same, but it's also about engaging people that come to those sessions to also share their ideas and what they've been working on as well. Um, so it really is that two-way dialogue around what we all can do collectively to um, impact on the plight of these animals. Um, so yeah, they, they will be running monthly um, and yeah, we did launch the first one just a few weeks ago. Um, so more information on those can be found on our website and our Facebook page. Fantastic. So I'll, I'll leave a link to your um, website and Facebook page in the um, podcast notes. Um, so that's fantastic. And, and they're, they're, they're open to anyone coming along. Is that right? Yes, anyone anyone um, can come along to those. So they are held in, in Melbourne um, in, in the city as well. So it's quite convenient to get to um, the yeah, Victorian-based people. And more, more community building, which this sounds um, exactly like that's what it is, is very, very good. I think we the more community building that we can foster and that sharing of knowledge and skills is only going to be valuable for um, for the animals and for our society in general. Um, yeah, we agree. And, you know, working in this space, we hear so many people, you know, say things like, the issue is so bad and I just don't know what I can do about it. And, you know, people feeling powerless to actually be able to create any change around the extinction crisis. Um, and the, the point of this series is to actually help shift that that feeling and that, that mindset of people feeling like they can't do anything. When we're in a room with people who actually are and we're sharing how, how, um, how we can actually do that. So that was a big driver for it as well. It's um, to help really shift that, that thinking around these issues being too big to tackle. Yeah, that's, that's good to hear. Um, very, very pleased to hear that. And I think I might try and come along to one of those series actually. That sounds great. Uh, speak, speaking of the extinction crisis, as you will both um, be very well aware, Australia has the worst record for species extinction on on record, or recent species extinction at least. Um, and does does For the Love of Wildlife have any um, plans or any um, input into conversations around Australian wildlife? Or is it mostly focused on the elephants and rhinos at the moment? Um, well, we've, we're focusing at the moment, obviously, um, on lions, elephants and rhinos. 
um, knowing that there's a, like a 10-year window uh, for those particular species. But what we are learning about the processes and um, one of our collaborative partners is Nature Needs More and um, they're specialists in demand reduction. And so what we are aware of is this commodification of wildlife, um, this sustainable utilisation, which is a term used by large NGOs and hunting groups and conservation groups and uh, traders and a whole range of people who want to uh, profit from the ongoing trade, is that um, what we're learning and what we're able to affect with these species can be adapted to uh, what's happening in Australia. And um, specifically when you look at what's happening with kangaroos um, and other wildlife, yeah, it's for sure. Um, I suppose it's worth noting that we're a really small team and so um, being as small as we are and doing the pieces that we are, we would ideally, you know, we'd love to be able to do more work, but there's only so many hours in the day. Absolutely. And um, I think also with, um, I guess, the focus on uh, on those those broader issues around, you know, trade, trafficking, um, penalties, prosecutions, um, all of those different areas, if we are lifting the profile of that, um, you know, any change in that space would go towards, you know, contributing to um, impacting Australian native species as well. So, um, you know, if if the profile of wildlife crime is ra is raised in in Australia as something that does need to be taken seriously and does need to be addressed, um, you know, that will go a long way in um, in helping impact the plight of Australia species as well. I think so, definitely, and it's sort of that uh, that word that you used, Donnelly, um, sustainable utilisation, and exactly what you were just um, talking about, Haley, is this idea that it's okay just to go out and use animals um, as we see fit, and as long as as long as there's going to be a few more there when we when we turn around, that's okay. They they become a resource um, rather than us recognising their own their own um, agency and and their desire to live and to be their own individual. Um, do either of you have any sort of any thoughts on, on that point um, of sustainable utilisation more broadly or, or animals as resources and how that impacts your work and how it impacts um, getting this idea of um, or, or raising the awareness of wildlife exploitation more broadly? Is that, a, is that a difficult, that normalised thinking around the utilisation of animals? There's, I, I suppose I'll, I'll respond to uh, a, a perspective and then Hayley can um, come in with the piece around sustainable utilisation. But um, back to what you were just saying, Adam, about we forget that these animals have a right to exist on their ancestral home, homeland and have a role to play in the greater ecology. And so um, uh, specifically with focusing on lions, like they're known as the king of the jungle. And so if you take um, lions out of the ecology in Africa, you collapse the whole fabric um, of, the, of the health of that ecosystem. 
And we're seeing that here in Australia with dingoes, mm. for example. Like I, I don't know a lot about the dingo population, but I do. I have heard that if you have a healthy dingo population, then you have thriving koala populations. You have a, a reduction in feral species, etc. So, I think we forget that there's this whole field of intelligence, and there's this whole. Um, uh, and I, I like to kind of uh, offer the piece of um, having a level of respect and deep reverence for nature. I think, um, you know, we forget. And I also um, consider that sometimes, even in our best intentions, we still kind of project human uh, conditioning or human laws or human purposes for wild, for wildlife and wilderness. And um, that, to me, to have that consciousness shift is uh, my, you know, ultimate um, perspective and, and dream is that if we could shift our consciousness and the way we relate to, to wildlife and nature. Mm. Hayley, do you have anything else to add to that? Yeah, I think the concept of sustainable use or sustainable consumption is a, a really interesting one and it, and it goes back, you know, quite far in in society's history around you know consumption of of natural resources um, and I think from what we've been seeing in the conservation space is um, a lot of organizations saying they support support the sustainable use model without actually articulating what does that mean and what does that look like and where are the proof points that trade for example in a particular species is sustainable um, so I mean if we took this the um, if we took the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species um, and the role that is meant to play in making sure that trade is, sustain yeah, um, is sustainable for a particular species, um, the gaps that we were talking about earlier in, in that system and in you know, the permit system and what actually is and isn't traded, um, without those systems actually monitoring it, how can it be proven that trade in any species through that mechanism is sustainable mm. um, and so there's there's a whole heap of concern that we have around the the mindset and the concept of sustainable use um, and even if you if you look back into where that term was first defined um, and a lot of the, def, the the broad conceptual definitions around what sustainable use is it often comes back to a human perspective and it often comes back to about not utilising a resource mm. um, to the point where, you know, it has a detrimental impact on future generations um, and that it's about making sure you can meet the needs and wants of the current generation without, um, you know, negatively impacting future generations. So it has very much a, a human focus on it um, and you know you could even then sort of delve into well what do we mean by needs and what do we mean by wants um, so it's an incredibly interesting space to look at um, but a, a highly concerning space that we have a lot of um, conservation bodies saying that they support the sustainable use model um, with no clear definitions about what that means and what that even looks like for any particular species. Yeah, absolutely. And and as you both pointed out, and Donnelly, you said quite eloquently, is that it also does not recognise the animal, the individual, and the right for their life to exist.
This year's TILDA, Melbourne Trans and Gender Diverse Film Festival, is packed with stories that represent the rich tapestry of trans and gender diverse people's lives. The program runs from Thursday the 8th to Sunday the 11th of November at Footscray Community Arts Centre and celebrates the best trans and gender diverse cinema on offer, along with Q&A sessions with festival guests and opening and closing night events. Program details and tickets are available at tildamelbourne.com, a 3CR supporter. Thank you. 
And that was One Species by X True Nature X. Hi, I'm Rod Quantock and you're listening to Fill in the Dots. You know who you're listening to. Why do I have to tell you who you're listening to? You know who you're listening to. You're listening to, yes, Fill in the Dots. 3CR Community Radio. You got it right. You've won a giraffe. Uh, we're at 855am. We're on digital radio and streaming at 3cr.org.au. 3CR has been making trouble since 1976, and occasionally I've been part of the trouble that's been made. It's a vital part of our uh, media landscape, and I'd encourage you to get a hacksaw, an oxyacetylene torch, and go up to the Dandenongs and, and bring down all those broadcast towers that aren't 3CR's towers, and let's make 3CR the only source of information to an information-starved, dumbed-down Australian community. Written, authorised and spoken by Neil Mitchell. Welcome back to Freedom of Species, and we are talking to Donna Lee and Haley from For the Love of Wildlife. And before the break, we were talking about the um, sustainable utilisation and the issues around that and the issues um, of conservation bodies having this idea for sustainable utilisation. It actually brought up, and, and both of your interests in um, changing uh, people's perceptions of the use of, of wildlife and of other animals. Um, have either of you come across humane education and how humane education is trying to connect um, people with, with the environment and wildlife and, and animals in general and building out their... Um, their circle of compassion, I suppose. Um, I haven't personally, no. No, me either, no. Okay, well, I'll leave that as a, um, as a comment. Uh, humane education is a space that is really trying to um, develop people's thinking in this space and, and it's been used all over the world and it's starting to build up some, um, some momentum in certain spaces. So that's certainly worth checking out. Donna Lee, I wanted to ask, um, what's it like getting the Order of Australia medal for work on animal welfare? <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, it still surprises me when people raise that. Um, it's a great honour, like really, um, to be recognised for the work uh, on getting the ban on the importation of lion trophies. I, I suppose the other piece with that is that it was a global first. Um, and so we did see France, the Netherlands, and even the US implement uh, bans or import restrictions after Australia made the announcement. So we do have to give credit to Greg Hunt, who was the environment minister at that stage, who did come on board as well as a patron for, for the love of wildlife. So again... Another first, uh, uh, to have a, a Liberal minister um, supporting a, a small charity like ours is really something. So, yes, it's very honouring and um, really does kind of... Uh, it's very humbling. You just realise um, that, you know, the work that you do is important um, and it, it's one of the reasons I get up every day and continue doing the work um, is that it, um, it's, it was such a surprise, but, yeah, greatly received. Great. And to, to wrap up, can you um, either or both tell us how people might be able to help out for the love of wildlife um, and, and where they can find more information about your organisation and what you do? For sure. Um, our website is fortheloveofwildlife.org.au 
Uh, you can find most information there and we're on um, Instagram uh, and on Facebook. Um, you can also email us at info at fortheloveofwildlife.org.au um, and very happy to engage with anybody who is interested in our work or would like to volunteer or to assist in any way really. Fantastic. Yeah, and I'd really encourage people to um, come to the discussion series and to, you know, hear the speakers there and to share share the knowledge and um, and you know strategies and expertise and to just meet um, uh, like-minded people there as well. Um, so that's a that's a fantastic way to get involved with us and to support us. Um, and yeah, you know, memberships um, is another fantastic way. And we've also just started to explore the um, space of workplace giving, um, where we can connect with organisations and have people within those organisations um, contribute to um, for the love of wildlife uh, as well. So yes, that's also another fantastic way to, to support and get involved with us. That's great. Thank you very much for both of you coming on and spending the time today to talk to us about For the Love of Wildlife and for all of the work that you are doing for the animals. Oh, thanks so much, Adam. It's been a pleasure. Cool. Thank you for having us. Thank you. And you've been listening to Freedom of Species on 855 AM, 3CR Community Radio. And up next, stay tuned because there's going to be an excellent show of Encyclopedia uh, from 2pm onwards. Have a great Sunday afternoon and enjoy that sun. 3CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. As far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.